Hi, everyone. I'm Rosemary Coates here in Silicon Valley. I'm your host for this edition of the Frictionless Supply Chain Podcast. I'm the executive director of the Reshoring Institute, where we help companies bring back or expand their manufacturing in the U.S. I'm also a contributing writer to Supply Chain Management Review. Today, I'm welcoming my guest, Rachel Wynn, the Director of Operations at U.S. Critical Materials. And this is going to be a very important discussion and a critical origin point for so many supply chains, and that is the mining of rare earth elements. In 2021, after Biden took office, he appointed a team to study critical supply chains and their vulnerabilities in America. After 100 days, the team reported that the top four categories where we are most vulnerable are semiconductors, large-scale batteries, pharmaceuticals, and rare earth elements. If you're interested in this report, it's posted on the Reshoring Institute's website under U.S. Manufacturing Profiles tab. Rare earth elements are required for making all electronics, semiconductors, EV batteries, industrial magnets, and a host of other things we use every day in our lives. Just imagine what it would be like if we didn't have our cell phones or our laptops or any other electronic device. And all of those are reliant on on rare earth elements as part of production. And right now, 80 to 90% of rare earth elements are mined and refined in China. This is a huge supply chain risk for American industries. So the recent announcement by U.S. Critical Materials of a major geological find of rare earths in Montana is awesome news. But I'm going to let Rachel tell you all about this. So let's get started. Welcome, Rachel. Hi, how are you? And so glad that you're joining us today. This is such an important topic, not only to me, but I think to the majority of supply chains out there. And we just we need to be educated on what rare earths are, how they're mined, and and this new announcement that you have about Sheep Creek. I'm gonna be careful on how I say that. Sheep <laughs> Creek. <laughs> Tell us about your background and how you um became involved in rare earths exploration at US Critical Materials. Uh, Well, in 2008, I was a research assistant uh, for a geologist, and uh, I basically, uh, I would just search for reports, uh, historical data uh, that pertain to rare earth properties around the United States, and uh, we would locate those properties, uh, go and take ground samples, and if there was a good mineralization, rare earths there, Uh, we would stake those claims and uh, i did that for several years and then recently one of my colleagues uh, from that project approached me about starting this company and i was so excited because you know the other project didn't really come to fruition and so this new project um, especially with the mineralization that we found in sheep creek it's so exciting because i can really see you know that this that this is going to go somewhere you know whether whether you know I'm involved with it when it does or not, it's just exciting to know that yeah. that, that there is something there and it's big and uh, it, I I feel like it's going to take care of all of our rare earth needs. 
Oh, very good. So why why is it critical that the U.S. establishes rare earth mining and refining domestically? Well, like I mean, you said, there, yeah, well, you know, you said that 80 to 90 percent of our rare earths that we get now, our supply comes from China. And, uh, you know, that's just not a very good <laughs> it's not a very good place to be. You know, if we can mine our own resources, you know, in the United States, that puts us in a in a stronger strategic, you know, position, you know. Uh, yeah, and, I I guess, you know, if you think of it this way, if if you know the relationship between the US and China gets worse or continues to worsen, um, you know, it was it was pretty good for a while. And then the Trump administration started the trade war and you know, our relationship just went downhill from there and it hasn't gotten any better under the Biden administration either. No. So if China were to decide not to sell rare earth elements to us or um to stop uh, selling them on the world market like they are today and just keep them all for themselves. I mean, we are in a world of hurt. Right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So the Chinese Communist Party in China has essentially weaponized its global rare earth domination. Uh, you know, and I mean, that's, you know, really frightening, you know, when you think about yeah. the implication there, you know. Yeah, I mean, think about um, defense contracts, for example, all the electronics that go into defense equipment, none of that would be, we wouldn't be able to make any of that. Um, now, I understand that rare earths were mined uh, in the U.S. maybe 20 years ago, 30 years ago, but because production in China was so much cheaper and more efficient, they were, it's my understanding that um China mostly they mine the rare earth elements and also import basic um, rare earth elements, but then they process them up along the Mongolian border because it's such a polluting kind of activity. Um, and and because they were doing that and doing it at much less expensive uh, rate, uh, that the U.S. Uh, production was shut down because we couldn't compete here. Right. So. So what do you know, what has changed? I mean, are we, I think the U.S. government is supplementing some of that uh, exploration and the, and the production of rare earths after their mind, but you're, you're in the mining part of it. So finding the, the resources, right. And getting them out of the ground. Yeah. Well, we're not, we're not into the mining part of the process yet. We're still doing the exploration. But um, I have to say what's really unique about the Sheep Creek area is there's uh, there's mining. Uh, let's see what I, I don't want to misspeak. Well, uh, I think just just before we talk about uh, Sheep Creek, because I want to go into that and I know it's a special area. What can you sort of describe the process? I mean, you you started talking about the exploration and the staking claims and so forth. Can you take us through what happens, how that works? How do you find these things? I yeah, mean, well, like I was saying before, you you have to do research. You, you go through geologic reports. Uh, you go on the USGS and and search for areas and mentions of rare earths. And then you go to those locations, your geologist goes there and he has to visually identify, you know, rare earth mineralization there and then take samples, ground samples. They just pick up the samples and put them in a bag and hike them out and send them to a lab. And 
there's only a few labs that can um, do the processing, you know, the testing uh, for rare earths, because, you know, there's many different elements to rare earth. Uh, and they separate those elements and then find out the grades of each one. So it's a real specialized um, process. Mm -hmm. So after that's completed, you get this report and it shows you exactly what you have uh, on the ground anyway. And then once you've done that, you, of course, you know, you stake that area, you know, and, and you stake it along the trend so that you have. What do you mean by, what do you mean by staking the area? Do so you have to buy? You have buy to go land? out with a location notice and you, and it's uh, each, each claim is 20 miles. So, okay. so you go out and you find the claim post and you put your location notice in and then you file your paperwork at the Bureau of Land Management and in the county. So is this on, this is on public lands? Uh, BLM, public. Bureau of Land Management, BLM okay. land. Yeah, public okay. land. Okay. All so, right. And then, and you don't, so you don't actually buy the land. You just no. stake a, a claim. Okay. Yeah, you're, it, it's, a, it's a lease and then you renew it every year. And anything that you want to do on that property, on that ground that you're leasing, you know, you have to, of course, get permission and, you know, you can't just go up there and build a home. Okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah. If you wanted to, you know, if you wanted to, um, you know, go up there and, and do digging, you, you've got to fill out something that, you know, tells them who's going to be there, what date, what equipment you're using, things like that. Okay. So, you know, it's, it's not real easy, but it can be yeah. done, you know, and we've been up in that area for, for a long time and we know, you know, the people there at the so, BLM and at the ranger stations and things like that. So they're familiar with our, with our yeah. comings and goings, but uh, yeah, yeah. So then you, then you stake the ground and, uh, and then, you know, you continue to do your exploration and uh, eventually digging and, and eventually drilling. And then, you know, the big dream is, is mining. You know, okay. but uh, so we have an advantage at Sheep Creek because there are uh, pre-existing mine workings. That was the word I was looking for. There's um, there's adits, which are horizontal tunnels that go down, and we've reopened well, these. What adits. are they called again? Can, what are they called? An adit, A D I T. Okay. And it's a horizontal tunnel that that goes under the ground. So they they were pre-existing. They were already there. So. Um, We've gone down into those, reopened them, gone down into those, and uh, there's 125 feet of mineralization there below. So the geologists can see it's above ground there, and but the great news is, is there's a vein and a dike that go that goes all the way down. So, so our so let me ask a, let me ask a question. So the geologists look at maps and reports and so forth and find a likely location, right? And then yeah. they they go and test it, test the top ground stuff. Yes. And in this case, the tests for Sheep Creek must have come back very positive. They did, yeah. So 18% of total rare earth element. And that's huge. And the other great thing about that is they found very negligible amounts of thorium. And, you know, when you hear thorium, you're like, oh, man, you know, nuclear. Uh, so there's no need for a permit from the NRC. From the, okay, uh, so a lot of these deposits are in places where there's high thorium. So it's more difficult to mine because that's radioactive, correct? Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's hard to separate the thorium and it's hard to dispose of it, you know. And and okay. there's just negligible, you know, there's negligible amounts there. And uh, one of the geologists we had up there. 
uh, one of our associates said, you know, this is like a geologic unicorn because you you rarely ever find large amounts of rare earths this high, you know, which is one of the highest in, in the United States, um, if not the highest, you know, we won't know yet until we get further underground. But he said, you rarely ever find that amount of rare earth, if ever, without the thorium content, because they're kind of married in together. Yeah. Oh, so I see. it's really exciting because yeah. you know, it's going to be a really, you know, it's going to be a lot safer environmentally and a lot cheaper, uh, you know, to get the, the rare earths, you know, extracted and, and processed without the thorium content. So then, so it's my understanding that rare earths are everywhere. You, you could even find them in your backyard if you wanted to, but the big deposits are mostly in the Western U.S. and in Canada. Is that right? That's that's what I understand. Yeah. And and how much exploration has been done? I, we did some in Colorado and in uh, New Mexico. But, you know, who knows? You know, maybe maybe there's huge deposits other places. People just haven't really looked for it, you know, because it's relatively, you know, kind of an, a new thing. You know, we were getting all of our rare earths, you know, outsourced, you know, getting that from China, other countries. And I think. I think just in the last maybe 20 years, people have been like, oh, hey, you know, this is important. This is a resource we yeah. need and and let's try to find it. So who knows? So then then after the rares are mined, um, then, then do they go off to a processing company or what happens after that? Yeah, they'll they'll need to be they'll need to be. Uh, processed after after their mind so i mean this is going to be a very expensive venture you know but i think you know shows like yours and you know the press releases and you know getting people aware of the need for these rare earths i think that that you know might spark you know some government involvement it would be great you know if the government said hey we do need this you know yeah let's let's take care of this you know not that there's you know giant amounts of piles of money sitting around but i yeah. do believe that this is worthy of of government funding yeah that that's my understanding too that there's likely to be money available either low-cost loans or um grants or you know other funding for exploration and testing and that sort of thing through the u.s government because of this critical vulnerability so I mean it's it's well recognized and in in some respects it's urgent. It is. I urgent. mean if something something were going to happen to our relationship with China that made them pinch or or cut off altogether our rare earth um, resources. I mean we are just in you know in in terrible terrible shape. It's very very risky. Yeah, we're so really this, vulnerable right now, and it, it makes us weaker. And you know. We really need to pay attention to our national security. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, obviously, if we're in a, a conflict with China, we're going to need extra funding for defense equipment and all of that. And we can't make defense equipment if we don't have rare earths and on and on and on. So Absolutely. it's really the it's really the the center of so many supply chains. And I think um as supply chain professionals who are probably listening to this podcast will recognize that we haven't done much thought, put much thought into 
you know, where those basic mine materials come from. Um, so we're more used to buying um, products that are already made and ready to go um, or ready to be used in a manufacturing environment. But boy, we need to connect the dots all the way back to the, the mining of this stuff is really important. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit more about Sheep Creek. Where is it in Montana? And, um, you know, what, what's the availability? How did the, how was the mine originally used? Do you know any other of that history? Um, so the Sheep Creek property is uh, northern, uh, well, it's on the border of Montana and Idaho, just right on the border there. Um, it is near to Salmon, Idaho, and uh, it's it's really accessible. There's there's a lot of little roads up there. It's it's pretty easy for our geologists to go up and, and do the exploring. Although there were fires a couple of years ago, but okay. uh, it turned out that kind of made it easier to you know to get through the yeah. <laughs> through the area you know to do his exploring you know. Um, but yeah, so I would imagine because they had uh, they had already developed a mine there <clears throat> in the past. There was there were roads already built to the mine and at least some accessibility. Yeah, the, it's it's pretty accessible. Um, it's seven square miles. It's uh, it covers uh, four thousand seven hundred acres. Uh, we've got two hundred and twenty three claims in there right now. So if you times two hundred and twenty three times twenty, I mean I. I that's that's a lot of ground, you know. Yeah. So anyway, um, so does a claim a claim is for a specific area? Is that right? Um, or a, a specific something you're looking for? A specific mineral, or so, what's the claim? No, it's it. You don't have to specify what your claim is for. You just file your paperwork. But uh, yeah, like I said, it's uh, 20, 20 acres each each claim. So when you find an area you're interested in, you go and do your sampling and then you put your location notice in the post there and you file it with the BLM and then you have to pay an annual fee every year for your assessments and your maintenance. Um, but it, you know the, the great thing about that area is is our geologist lives real close and and he just loves to he just loves what he does and he's up there all the time finding new things we have calls every morning and uh and he hasn't been up there now since the snow but uh it just seemed like every week you know he had something new to report something he was really excited about and it's too bad that the you know the sampling it's such an expensive thing to do to have those samples um uh analyzed you know, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like this whole process is very expensive. So, you know, looking for the right location and exploring, then and then, and then waiting, and, you know, waiting for the, the results. You know, we, yeah, we've all been waiting for our, our next uh sampling report, and uh, we're just on pins and needles, we just can't wait to find out, you know, what we found underground, you know. So, yeah, and it was really neat to see the pictures. You know, he goes into the attic there and and it's just really neat, you know, it's this big cave of mineralization and carbonatites and things. And, and you know, he's he's just so excited about it. It it makes it really fun. Well, it's kind of fun anyway, but it makes it even more fun. Yeah. yeah. 
Sure, sure. Absolutely. So what was the mine for used um, prior to this? You know, I, I could find that information, but I don't, I know you don't want me to wait. Yeah. You don't want to wait for me. Yeah. To find it. it uh, I know it was open sometime in the forties. So it was a okay. while back. But but they were not mining rare earths at that oh, time. No, they were no, mining no. something else. Okay. Something else, yeah. And then it was abandoned for a while. Is that right? It was. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. For a long time. Wow. For so interesting. And they yeah. They didn't know they didn't know they were sitting on a gold mine, so right. to speak, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, if they had only known that there were rare earths there that would be, you know, fast forward used today in all of our electronics, it would have been. Oh, a, absolutely. Been yeah. Woulda, shoulda, coulda, huh? Yeah. So did the did the prior company must have abandoned the mine and, and that allowed you to stake a claim? Is that right? That's right. Okay. Okay. Very interesting. Very interesting. Well, if if we want to learn more about this, um, Rachel, can you give us the your website or where we can go to learn more about these wearers? I think it's in Sheep Creek. It's very exciting yeah. uh, time to to learn more for for supply chain people. Yeah, um, uscriticalmaterials.com. Uh, that's our website. And uh, if anyone wanted to get in touch, uh, it's just. Uh, Rachel Wynn at uscriticalmaterials.com is my is my email address. Ah, that's terrific. All right. Well, thank you so much, Rachel, for talking to us today. It was so interesting. And these are things that supply chain people really need to think about and be aware of uh, so that they understand the end-to-end -end supply chain for the products that they're working with. Well, thank you um, for bringing uh, all of this information uh, to light. We We all need to be aware of, of these, yeah. these important yes. issues. Yes, it's an exciting time for you as well as for America to repair our uh, our supply chain and make sure we link all parts of it and uh, recognize the vulnerabilities for sure. Absolutely. So you can listen to more Frictionless Supply Chain podcasts posted on Supply Chain Management Review's landing page as well as iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can reach me, Rosemary Coates, at rcoates at reshoringinstitute.org and visit our website at www.reshoringinstitute.org where we publish all of our research on manufacturing in America. Thank you for listening and have a great day.